1: welcome everyone to another edition of the irish breakdown podcast i'm vince dadario that's brian driscoll and it is friday june 3rd which really all it means is it's a friday free-for-all mailbag brian i'm fired up i get to look at your
2: beautiful face all, <laughs> all show long which you uh-huh. know,
3: we haven't had uh-huh. you around
2: for the past two days so i have missed everybody like yeah, ooh, man. i'm not gonna lie to you like i was even talking about it in the the jury deliberation room, like you know, like man, I've missed three podcasts this week. Like, I I miss doing those. You you kind of you know, you kind of get into that rhythm of just doing them every day, and it kind of becomes a monotonous, and then you get a chance where you can't do them, and you're like, man, I love doing this. I, I miss everybody. So I'm back, I'm yeah, ready baby. to rock and roll. I appreciate ready to roll. you and Ryan holding down the fort and putting great shows together with me out, even with your BS. Brian always disagrees with me comment yesterday. <laughs> Heard that when I was editing the show last night getting the podcast ready. So, okay, okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad to be back and I'm ready to talk some Notre Dame football. So,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Very so let interesting me... few days, man. Yeah, well, that's, that's a fact all by itself. So, um, okay, let's jump into this thing with a question from Coach Bent 574. So, it must be a local yokel, just like us. Uh which position group on defense will have the most turnovers, interceptions and forced fumbles only? So you got the defensive line,
2: the linebackers, the corners or the safeties. Well, I'm going to go with the defensive line there simply because the way that you broke it up, it it that's the biggest group. You know, that's going to have four guys in it and then and you know, Isaiah Foskey last year led the nation in in forced fumbles right so or tied for the nation lead in forced fumbles I don't see that changing the way that he plays you know linebacker could be in the conversation if you'd have put the secondary together as a whole I'd have gone with the secondary as a whole but individually as you know just two corner positions and two safety positions it'll be tight I, but I, I do think the way that coach broke it down I think it does make it a little bit more debatable I I, I would say if it if it if it wasn't broken down that way Vince I, I don't know if you agree or disagree since we always disagree, apparently, now. <laughs> okay, last last shot. Wow. Last shot. Um, uh, you know, I, I would say it would probably, I mean, I'd lean heavily to the secondary, but I think the way that he broke it down by, you know, because D-line is going to have fewer ter- interceptions. Linebackers are going to have a nice blend of both. You can make a case for linebackers. Secondary with interceptions and fumble, you know, forced fumbles could be in there too. But because he broke it down that way, I'd, I'd probably have to go to the D-line. Although I'm very curious to see if the linebackers can be more productive against the pass game this year. Just the lack of production in the pass game last year is really the big thing for me. Like Jack, Jack Kaiser had a couple big interceptions, but other than that, we just didn't see the the linebacking core have a lot of production against the pass last year. And they're not going to do it on, on forced fumbles alone. Like the D line could basically like the D line could get a couple interceptions, but they're going to get a decent number of forced fumbles. And that's kind of where I'm at on on that breakdown
1: from just a football standpoint. If we weren't specifically talking about Notre Dame, I would be tempted to go with the linebackers because I think they have an op- They would, they normally have an opportunity for forced fumbles. They have an opportunity for more interceptions than the defensive line would, uh, but breaking up the corners and the safeties almost eliminates them because it, from just a number standpoint, like you said, so I, I agree with that almost for, to make this even a better question, if you combine the corners and the safeties, I think then it becomes a bit more of a toss-up, but if we're talking about Notre Dame specifically, like you said, and I'm not going to repeat everything that you said, but from a from a numbers standpoint, you got to go defensive line because there's just so many of those guys, and then also how good the Notre Dame defensive line is, and how we know all. So what we know is that Isaiah Foskey is good at force fumbles. What we know is Jason Adamiola and Justin Adamiola are going to get going to be around the football and they're going to get their hands on the football.
2: Riley Mills. So, is another Riley guy Mills. Like, there too, yeah. We
1: know this. Like if we're working with knowns and unknowns, right in June, I know that the defensive line is going to be all over the football. So they're going to have a lot more opportunities for turnovers. Linebacker. I would love it to be them, to be honest with you I, in, in a perfect world. I would love for the linebackers to lead this particular category in, in turnovers. I just not, it's an unknown for me right now, and I'm not. I'm just not sure where that's going to go, right? So I would go defensive line as we're sitting here right now. Halfway through the season, once I know some more things, now, granted, you'll have those numbers too, but once I know how they're playing a little bit more, then I might change my, my opinion a little bit. But if we're dealing in knowns and unknowns and then numbers, it's got to be the defensive line. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm on that one.
0: For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com
4: slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Eric has an interesting one. He's going into the a bit of a way back machine. He says, hey, Brian and Vince. I had a random thought, and he says it was random thought in the next comment. I had a random thought for some reason. I was watching the 2015 Notre Dame-Virginia football game on the fake field goal flip from Kaiser. It looks like his knee was down. Is that
2: a blown call? No, it's not. So there's an exception. The rule in college football is if if your knee, elbow, things like that hit the ground, that is considered down. There is an exception in the rule for a simulated kick situation. So whether it is an actual kick, so Holder catches it, his knee is down. Otherwise, every time you kick a PAT or a field goal, it would be a – It would be, be down a, before you down, kick it. Right. So there's an exception to the rule that in a simulated kicking situation, you are not considered down until you have to get up and then go back down. Like if he if he goes up to catch the ball, catches it, and then goes down and then gets back up, that counts. What I'm referring to is if he gets up and moves, then his knee goes down, he would be considered down again. So. <clears throat> That is a it's a weird is a quirk. To it's be an honest exception. With me. I mean, it's yeah. an exception to the rule right. in the actual rule book, and also you, from that position, you can flip a ball, you can get up and run, you can simulate a pass, or you can pass the football. You'd have to have your knee go down again for that to count right. as as being down. But it, it's it's an exception to the rule in a PAT field goal situation. Yes, sir. And it has, and it, he has followed up. That has, as far as I've always known, my whole career, my whole life. You know, as a quarterback and a receiver, I was right. a holder, you know, right, right. And so, and in high school, and it was the rule then too. So it's always been the rule that, as far as I know. Now, was it a rule 50 years ago? I, I don't know. I just know as long as I've been playing football, which was in the early 90s, it's it, that's been the rule.
1: Yeah, because back in the day when you and I played, it was a uh, – the pun- the punter wasn't the holder. It was usually the backup quarterback, usually. Right. Or both. a receiver, right. Right, so that's obviously changed in the or maturation or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. We got a super chat here from Gavin Harden. Thank you so much, Gavin. He says, Oklahoma drill in your prime for a million dollars. Would you try to tackle Bettis or get through
2: Foskey? So, for a million dollars, I'll do either one of them. I was going to say, I mean, do I have to be successful or does I just have to do it? Right, I mean, look, I mean, half yeah. of it's going to go to the government. The other half is going to go to my medical bills. I still have $250,000. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm doing that, buddy. There's, there's, there's no, no cal- question I would do it. Now, if it said
1: I had to be successful, I, that might be <laughs> a different conversation. I would. It would be a much more possibility for me to tackle Bettis. He's got to go low and rap. I mean, it, just don't go high because it ain't going to end well. Uh, but I don't know how I would do against Vaposky. He could put me in his pocket.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I would do either one, and especially Jerome Bettis now. I mean, he'd still hurt me, but he wouldn't hurt me as bad as he would have in his prime, but yes, 100%. Would I do that for a a a million dollars? Absolutely, absolutely, because once I finally got my cut of it, I'd still have enough to, to do something fun with it. There's no doubt about it.
1: Here's a fun one from Michael Collins, and I might have to actually write this down. I'm not sure. If Freeman is most vital to Notre Dame's success, what order do you put the following? The athletic director and president, admissions, assistants and analysts, the BCS format, the facilities, the fans, NIL, players, recruiting staff, schedule, and strength program. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven categories following the head coach in order of success. So this is an interesting one, Brian, because there there's a lot going on here.
2: Yes, there is. So I, I there's there's a I mean there it's kind of hard to put that into. I, I would put I know I'd put admissions down towards the bottom. I would put the BCS format down towards the bottom. Just because I believe if everything else takes care of itself, you know, Notre Dame's gonna have a chance. Plus, I think the BCS format and the playoff has eliminated, has made it harder for a team to win a championship at the end of the day. Because this is what people refuse to acknowledge when this whole well, you know, the the this has allowed us to find a true champion. Blah 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 blah. And then they want to complain about it's the same teams every year after year. Well, in 1973, Notre Dame went into the postseason ranked fifth. They beat number one. Another team got beat. Notre Dame jumps from fifth to number one. They win a national championship. Literally, hundred percent possible now. Hundred percent impossible now. Hundred percent impossible now for that to happen. And it was even worse in the BCS era when you could only get two. So right, right. Yeah, you know that that to me is at the the very bottom of the list. I, I think that at the at the top as far as Notre Dame's success. I think you have to put the AD and the president at the top. And the reason I say that is because they can be your greatest ally or your greatest enemy. And, and that's the that's the reality of it. Is if you have an administration that's helpful, supports football, and is willing to do what it takes, you're gonna have great success. And as I think the last decade has pr- has proven us a great athletic director, although I I'm, I'm not a I'm not a huge Jack Swarbrick fan personally. And I don't agree with everything he does, but I don't agree with anybody for everything that they do. He's been a great athletic director, not just for Notre Dame, but for college football. Absolutely. And I believe he has propped up a good coach. Brian Kell is a good coach. He was not a great coach. But Jack Swarbricks moves from a you know turf field from the upgrades to the stadium, from the up to the new, you know, indoor facility to the upgraded recruiting facilities to all the different things he's done to push the program forward. He is, he was a tremendous asset and ally to Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly never had to fight the battles that Lou Holtz had to fight. Never. I mean, he always had someone who would, whatever you ask, go for it, which is another reason why I got annoyed when Brian Kelly's like, Well, I wanted this and the administration wouldn't do it. BS. Just own it. You, you were, you were at the end of your, you know, your time, which is totally fine. And you got a great opportunity and you wanted a fresh start. Just, just say that. Stop looking back and blaming Notre Dame for what they would or wouldn't do. Right. It just, it's, it's, ridiculous, because he had an incredibly, incredibly helpful athletic department and administration, whereas Lou Holtz is out here trying to win championships during an era when the administration just blatantly fought against him at at, at almost every turn. And so I I think that all those other things could be in a great position, but if you don't have great leadership at the top, you're just not going to be able to be a championship program at a place like Notre Dame. Maybe some other places, events, but not at Notre Dame.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with that. The whole so lot of that.
2: It. Yeah. I'd have, you know, I think, I think strength program is up there. Uh, I think assistant coaches is up there. I think assistant certainly. coaches
1: is high up there. Yeah. Right.
2: I, you know, I put, I put facilities up there. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, I don't put, and, NIL, I
1: don't put NIL very high to be honest. It I might don't. be middle and, of the road. I'll be right honest. I
2: put players after all the coaching aspects. Mm-hmm. Here's why I say that. Obviously, players are important have The players are the ones that go out on the field on Saturdays and of course, do the job. But my point would be, if we're talking about building the foundation of a program, players come later because you need all those other things in place to get the players. Right.
1: Absolutely. Because,
2: as we've seen in recent years, if you don't mm-hmm. have the correct infrastructure in place, you won't have the players. So if you have a administration that won't back you when it comes to going out and getting players like Lou Holtz had a battle with later in his career. Right you know, it, it's going to be harder if you have a head coach or assistant coaches that don't put the work in from a recruiting standpoint, it, the players aren't going to be as good. If you don't have coaches that go out there and coach these kids up effectively, right. then the players can't reach their potential if you don't have a right, the right strength program. So you could have great talent and and the coaches are going to be able to lift them up but if you don't have the good coaching the strength program and all the other things then it, it keeps the players from reaching their potential.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I believe
2: that even more that's even more true the younger you get. So, in the NFL it's it's true in the NFL but but less so. It's definitely true in college and it gets more so as as you go down sure. where where yeah, I really believe that there's a great emphasis on having that strong foundation. That you then then when you put the right players in place, it's great because I, sure. I would argue that Notre Dame's had much better players than than what their results have shown for the last twelve years, especially recently. That it was the players that overcame a lot of other deficiencies, but it was there was a limitation to it, right? And, and so that's that's how I look at it. So it's not that the players aren't as important; it's just they come later because number one. There's obviously constant turnover with with the players, but two, if those other things are strong, then it's going to make it easier to get the acquisition from a player standpoint. You need you're going to have the infrastructure in place to make sure that the players are being developed as young men, mm-hmm. as students, and as athletes to their fullest potential, and that's the that's the big key for me. Sure, and
1: I so one we haven't talked about yet would be schedule. That would fall in the middle someplace for me because. I want good assistance. I want the facilities. I want, you know, I want all of those things over. Now we've talked many times about how important the schedule is
4: right. and it is
1: a piece. It's a, it's, it is a piece. There's no question. And like this year, for example, I really like the way the schedule shakes out. You know, we, we were looking at it from a quarter standpoint and where the buy is and all those things. It's an important piece, but I can't put it above a lot of the things that you just mentioned. So It kind of falls in the middle category, but it's not down with... It'd be be near
2: the bottom for me. Okay. Simply because, again, it's a byproduct of all those other things. Sure. Right? Like, it's a byproduct of, do you have a healthy situation with your athletic director? Do you have a healthy situation with your school administration? Because those things are going to then lead into what your schedule is going to be. It's kind of where... Because, again, I would say all those things are important. All those things are important. I think NIL is important, but again, it goes down to, you can have a great NIL situation, but if you don't have a great administration, you don't have great coaches, you don't have a great strength program, all those other things, and the NIL is not going to do a whole lot for you in regards to being successful because you're going to get these talented players, but you're not going to do anything with them. It's like USC would recruit five-star after five-star after five-star over the last 10 years, and they were rarely good. Why? Because all all the other stuff wasn't in a good position. Absolutely. And so to me, none of those things are unimportant it's just, uh, to me, so the BCS format is at the very end. It's at the bottom of the list. I w- I, w- I would put, th- the interesting one is fans, because you could make a case that, at the end of the day, fans need to be in the top three. Really? And the reason I say that is is because without fans... There's no money for scholarships. There's no money to pay coaches millions okay. of dollars. There's no money for a. You're not you got to fill the stadium in order why, to wh- pay. Where's the it. NIL coming from? Like, fans are definitely more important than NIL because, again, yeah. why is a kid of value? Why is a school willing to pay $2 million to a quarterback? Why? Because he wants to win? Oh, sure. But you're not seeing Division three admin boosters doing that, right? right? You're not seeing Johns Hopkins, who has a huge endowment, going out there and trying to buy football players, right? Because – Football is just not a huge and important thing there. Sure. And so the money that's in the game is for because because of the fans. The fans love the product. They want to see a winning team. They're going to show up between 70 to 100-plus thousand people, depending on the stadium. They're going to watch in the millions at home. They're going to buy millions of T-shirts, millions of jerseys. They're going to watch YouTube channels, read websites, and all that kind of stuff. the The reason that we're sitting here talking today is because of fans right if 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 it was just me and you talking i promise yeah. you angela would not be nearly as understanding of the fact that i'm down here <laughs> talking football for a couple you, hours uh, you can like, add you got my a job to, to get to do. man like you know what i mean like how about you got some grass to mow you got some dinner to make you know what i mean like we'd be having a completely different conversation yeah no doubt so but it's it's hard for me to place them within that structure because they're such a unique entity yeah, that's a good point around it so i, I almost feel like i'd kind of put the fans outside of it, Mm -hmm. but then also underneath at the very bottom, meaning like the foundation, Foundation. right? Sure. Because all of that other stuff, why do we have a a million dollar athletic director? Why are we paying the head coach Mm -hmm. $5 million? Because the fans have turned this into this worldwide huge phenomenon, which is college football, because those things weren't happening 60 years ago. Why? Because they weren't super popular sports. Now they are. And and so, but it's just hard sure. to it's hard to compare the impact of a of, of a fan group to like the fans don't have then. So then, what makes them different is the fans don't then have a direct impact on the outcome of the game, right? right. As much as the other things. I mean, I mean you, can, you can talk about atmosphere, and that, loud, and all that. And all that. Yeah, at sure. the end of the day, but Bama's not. If if every Bama fan went to a game and said, "We're going to protest that we we think cheering is a form of communism," and so we're not going to cheer. I'm just right. making up some absurd. Right, right, right. right. And so we're just going to sit Alabama. here quietly and not make a peep during the game. Is Vanderbilt beating Alabama? No. It's still about all those other things. Right. Absolutely. And so that 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 would be my would be my point is is it still comes down to what's the product that's being put on the field as regard to the mm-hmm. out, the success of your of your program, but from a bigger picture, more from a macro level, is the fans have turned this into the beast that it is, which I love because I love the beast. I'm so glad to be a part of the beast. Sure. So it's just hard to compare that to those other aspects of it. But they're all important. If you don't have a great fan base, guess what? You don't have money to give your, your, your head coach. You don't mm-hmm. have money to give your athletic director. You don't have money to put into to the facilities. You don't have money to put into NIL. You don't have money to put into all these different things. And, and so that's, that, that would be, yeah. it's a great question. That's I mean, a Michael, it's a really fun question to think about. We could do a whole show on this. 100%. 100%. Whole, I mean,
1: maybe we should, because that's really good. I mean, it's, it's, I would love to go through this and really kind of break down every piece of it too. You know what I mean? Because I guarantee you our, our list would be different. Um, But it's really interesting to me where some of this would fall almost by, Some of it would fall differently than what I think off the top of my head, just because something has to go towards the bot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So anyway, I I think this is a really good question. So thank you, Michael, for that. That was awesome. Demetrius Rex says, Around this time last year, with some excitement about Reese opening up the offense and being more aggressive than previous years, do you think he was successful in doing this? Plus, what more can he do to achieve that goal?
2: I think the success eventually came, but just took a while. Second half of the season. And yeah. and I think the reason why is, is it's a couple reasons. It's not as simplistic as just, oh, the O-line stunk, but that was a big part of it, right? Sure. The O-line wasn't good. I think it took Jack Cohn a little bit while to a little while to truly get comfortable with all the aspects of being the quarterback at Notre Dame. And I don't mean that from a big picture standpoint. I'm just referring to Getting to the same point where you know his footwork in the shotgun was more comfortable, where his understanding of the reads and the protections and all those kind of things, he just was more sound. I think that helped. I think the O line was a big part of it. I mean, I'm not gonna sit there and deny that the, the of play of the offensive line improving, which came against a softer schedule. Part of the schedule helped that is true too. As well, you know, so I think there's a lot of things that factored into it. And and then as the but as at the as the O-line got better, you you saw Coach Reese have the freedom to do more and more and more because he had time to call certain things. You know, so what can he what he can he do? You know, Do you think this he was successful in doing it and what more can he do? I think the bigger thing that he needs to do is I, I want to see him not go away from the r the rpo is being a key ingredient to the offense i think that's an important piece to this what more can he do is you know continue to build around your 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 talent you know continue to find ways to get guys in isolation i think that's one of the things i really liked about last year okay. we should do a football 101 on this fence and, and we're going to get those over the summer now that the staff's in place yeah things are getting i'm going to start <clears throat> being able to do more of those things but you know, we saw more of him using formations and motions and shifts to try to create isolations on routes I mean, where you're getting guys open. Where in the past it was just kind of like everybody was running kind of like a one on one individual type of thing. Mm-hmm. Now it's more of let me use this guy, this guy, and this guy to free up this guy I for a like, particular play. It's almost
1: like next level, right? Play
2: calling. To you're be playing with chess you. now. Whereas yeah. exactly. in the past they were playing checkers. Uh, right. You know, and and so. Just continue to do that. But then the other part is, what can he do? Continue, you know, make sure that that you have a good staff. You have a strong staff. You know, make sure you've got Matt Bayless on your strength program. And it kind of goes back to the previous question. I don't care how good your offensive coordinator is. If you don't have a good online coach, yeah, you no, you're absolutely right. Coach, if you have a good quarterback's coach. If you don't have a good strength coach, and you're not going to reach your full potential. So I think, you know, getting Harry, he stand back, getting mm-hmm. Chansey Stucky, if he's going to be the coach we're going to be, and then getting Jared Parker, getting Dylan McCullough. Right. You now look at it; it's like Tommy Reese. It's like the it's like the Captain America thing I used during you know earlier in the off season. It's like you know before he was, he was Captain America standing all alone, and then all of a sudden right. you know
1: here they he come. Starts,
2: and now he's now he's got a team around him. Right? It's not he's mm-hmm. not the Lone Ranger anymore. And I think that's going to be, I and mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration because I do think Lance Taylor was a good football coach. I do think John McNulty was a good football coach. So it's not like he was completely. I don't think it was a terrible
1: staff overall. It was just there was right. some weak and right. it it. There is a very important positions. Absolutely. And And there is not true. And and there's there's places and ways you can hide not so good coaches. You can't hide them at offensive line.
2: Well, the problem is, Vince, they they their best coaches worth the positions of the least importance. Exactly. And I don't mean that in any disrespect to Dylan McCullough, but I've said this before. It's 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 always better to have a great coach. Absolutely. There's no question. It's just that a tight end and running back coach, you don't necessarily need a great coach, right? The nature of the position, the fact right. that others can help coach it up. If you have a great recruiter, it, it's nice to have a great coach if you can get it. But it's okay if you don't. At O line, you have to have a great coach. Right. I don't care how good right. a recruiter you are. If you can't coach, it doesn't matter. So, and and I would argue receivers becoming more and more like that yes. in a in an offense like Notre Dame's. It's because not as important at Navy. It, 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 well, not no, not not even Navy. Like just because that's I mean, obviously that's a. I would disagree with that because the, okay. the the type of blocking they have to do, you're and right? The different reads they have to make is kind of complicated. Okay. Having said that, what I'm more referring to is like the air raids where like they only line up on one side, they only have to teach one stance. Right. You only have like five routes you got to teach. Right. Your job is like go recruit really talented players, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna fit them in the system. We'll and figure it name out it's still more about I mean, you know, you're the W, but you may have seven different potential alignments as the W. Right. And then you may have a, you know, 20 plus different route possibilities and options, not on a play, but just over the course of your, your playbook. You need a coach that can teach these kids how to line up, how to beat press, how to attack stem, how to, you know, how to attack, lever- how to use the stem to attack leverage, you know, how to work on top ends, all these type of different things, how to react if the corner's here. How do you cl- You know, teach a guy to climb and stuff like that? Those are things that air raid guys just aren't necessarily having to learn. That a a a player coming from a more pro style system mm-hmm. like in Alabama, like Texas, like Notre Dame, there's just so much more you have to do. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important to have a guy that can really teach the position at a high level where it's not as important. Right. And and I don't mean this in any disrespect, but like at a at a Washington State, at a the way Baylor used to be under Art Briles, at a North Carolina it's just not quite as important because it, it's, it's so much more limited than what they're being asked to do.
1: And I, I will, since we're talking about coaches, I will also say I, I had uh interaction with coach Mason today and he is as advertised. Like he is super engaging, yeah. like clearly knows what he's talking about. He's an intense dude. He's an intense dude, which in, in a great way, you know what I mean? Like, he was able to coach like 100 kids at the same time, which not everybody can do that. You know what I mean? So he, they definitely upgraded at that spot.
2: That's what I'll say. Very likable person, special teams coach. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. That's a new thing. <laughs> Domer don't, don't
1: Grizz says Happy Friday. What are your thoughts on the chaos practice periods that BK implemented after the loss down in Miami? Do you think they have uh, they have been they have been or could be helpful? And will Marcus Freeman continue using them?
2: I feel like this question was asked before recently. Okay, uh, and and <clears throat> I I didn't think they did a whole lot. I mean, first, first of all, was, a little uh, too late, in my opinion. Well, it, the I mean. whole the whole thing is Vince. It's like it was just something that Brian Kelly did to make it seem like he was addressing a problem that rose that he was the reason for. Right. And, and it's kind of like you didn't do a good job of preparing your team, right? Your team got their got embarrassed. So let's do something to make sure this doesn't happen again. It was I'm reactionary. It, right? it was reactionary. That's how he always was. And I don't know, like what, that. Yeah. Well, I got whooped by Bama. Let me try to figure out how I cannot get whooped by Bama anymore. And right. You know, so no, I mean, you don't need chaos practice periods. You just, that's, I mean, you, it's called being a good coach. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's about creating competition. It's about creating tempo. It's about putting kids in stressful situations yep. during, during practices yep. to make sure they're prepared for those things. I, mm-hmm. it, it, it was like, okay, like short term, if your team's not at the level it should be from a preparation standpoint, it's going to have a positive impact, but it's going to die out real quickly. And it's going to then come back down to what is the foundation of your program? Right. And right. that's what he's always doing. He's always looking for like these gimmicks and look, I'm I'm answering questions that were asked. I'm not trying to purposely take shots of Brian Kelly. Questions were asked. I just feel like the gimmicks always fade. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and one of the reasons Brian Kelly never got to the level he should have got to is because there really wasn't a true foundation of the program that he built. And I know the Brian Kelly supporters don't want to hear this, but I've been saying this for going back all the way to 2014 and 15, Vince, that the players are the ones setting the culture that's thriving at yep. Notre Dame in spite of what's happening from a leadership standpoint. And any success they had on defense in 14 and 15, for example, at any time was more about having Jalen Smith and Cole Luke and Kavari Russell and Sheldon Day and Romeo Aguara sure. and all those guys than it was anything that was done from a coaching staff or strength standpoint. And, and so – you know, it, it, it's gotten better because the assistant quality assistant coaches for the most part has gotten better. Mm-hmm. But that's partly why I'm excited about this staff, because I think there's a better foundation being established from a, just a culture of the program. Like Brian Kelly used to talk about culture, right? But he was basically right. taking credit for a culture that he didn't really have a whole lot to do with. It was a player culture. Now you have a coach that's driving the culture and that's why the players are sure. I mean, there's a reason the players have grabbed on to Marcus Freeman the way that they did. And this was mm-hmm. before Brian Kelly left, which was something that had caused some problems within the program. And and it's because you know he understands the need to develop that culture on a day to day basis to have to put kids in stressful situations on the field, to prepare them for those type of situations, to you know, create competition and all those type of things, which is eventually going to make the program stronger. How long will it take? That's what we don't know. Sure. But I believe sure. it, it, in the end of the day, it's going to, it's going to work.
1: And I, I will also say, and and I don't know if this is pe- specifically answering this question, but any coach from high school up, you know, coaches sudden change and and that kind of stuff. And if you're not doing that, if you're not putting kids in stressful situations in a in a, you know, in practice and things of that nature, then you're not doing your job. And, and and like I said, it's not a college coach thing. Like we do that at the high school level: sudden change and and chaos and all of that stuff. That that shouldn't have been a new thing. That should not have been a reactionary um, thing for for Brian Kelly. And and that's what disappointed me on that. That all of a sudden now they're doing this. Like no, <laughs> you know. So that was frustrating for me on that front. So again, just answering you're, the question:
2: you're not going to win championships by constantly being reactionary, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's always going to happen to a degree. Like Nick Saban saw what, you know, he, the issue with Ole Miss and then losing to Texas AM, and there was a bit of a reaction to it, but it was also looking into the future to say, hey, look, this is kind of the 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 way of college football. So let's take it in a different direction. Cause people say, well, you know, he changes offense when he played. Well, yeah, but he didn't run the offense that Ole Miss and Texas AM were running. He went to a pro style offense, not the air raid thing that they right, were doing. Exactly. So it's, it was a little bit different.
1: Coach Koch says, Can you explain, or maybe it's Coke, uh, can you explain the scholarship numbers situation and how they can work it out to not go over eighty five?
2: Well, they're, they're it's eighty six right now, I believe, uh is where they are. I'd have to go through and, and count the numbers again, but I believe they're at eighty-five or eighty six. There's going to be either – one of two things is going to happen, and I have no doubt that one of, if not two things are going to happen. I, I think they'll still end up getting under 85 because at some point in time, some, someone's, there's a chance someone transfers. But there's also a couple people that – and I'm not going to get into names, but there's a couple people who may end up having to do the medical route where they just can't play football, or Notre Dame's not willing to clear them to play football at Notre Dame, and so they they go on a medical scholarship. Is and then the third option, which is the one I think the Notre Dame probably least wants to do, which is you take a scholarship away from a walk on, because right. there's several walk ons right. right now on the 86 includes the Matt Salernos, the Michael Vinsons and guys like that. Like I don't see it happening to Michael Vinson because I mean he's a starter and he's a very key part of your special teams. But you know maybe one of those other walk ons gets their scholarship provoked if if the need is there. Like if. And it's, it's not pleasant, but that's part of the business. I mean, that's part of the deal of, of getting your roster where it needs to go to. I'm not going to turn down a scholarship type of athlete that can help my football team for a walk-on who's a good you know, not going to help, <laughs> but a great kid. I mean, it, yeah, it right. sucks, but that's the reality. Right. Because The reason is, is because it may be unfair to that kid, but as a football coach, you have a greater responsibility to your whole football program. And it's not always about what's best for that young man. It's a lot of times it's, it's best. What's best about the entire team. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what's best for the entire team is going to mean someone's going to get, you know, something happen that's not in their best interest benching a starting quarterback. Yeah. Right. That hurts that kid, but that's what's best for the entire program. And that's just the way the process works.
1: Rob Osgood has a question. How much input does the head coach have when it comes to creating future games? I know Jack Swarbrick is the one who controls it, but with that, but with what input? Thanks, guys.
2: It depends on the. Yeah. There's no set rule. I mean, it depends on the relationship between the head coach and the the athletic director. I, I think at the end of the day that the athletic director is the one that determines all that. But you know, if Marcus Freeman went to to, and this was true, if Brian Kelly would have done it, but if Marcus Freeman goes to Jack Swarbrick and says, "Hey, I want a series against so and so," okay why okay state your case and tell them why and you know more often than not they'll try to make it happen doesn't always work though because it may just be a thing where like look their schedule doesn't work and our schedule doesn't work so the time frame that you want this game to happen it just can't happen because teams are setting their schedules so far out in advance there's just not a lot of dates available right exactly and that's what, i wish there was a rule that you can't set your schedule beyond four years right like right i wish that was a rule i wish that was a real thing and Notre Dame could still do their five ACC, six ACC games just because just like every team with a division knows they're going to play at least six teams. And you know, eventually they're talking about like getting rid of divisions, but you're still going to have at least three teams that you know you're going to play because you're going to have your protected rivals and all that sure. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see them go away from this way. I mean, Notre Dame's got games scheduled for the 30s. Oh, That's yeah, like, like 35, 30. I think. Like That's I think like they're, they're- – I'm not talking about the ACC games. Oh, I mean, I'm, not, I'm talking games. about like they're playing Florida, I think, in like 30 31 or something like that. Like they're playing Bam in 28 29, and that was set a couple few years ago. These games being set like 10 years in advance are just mm-hmm. silly, in my opinion. That's they're middle. Just,
1: those, those kids are in middle school right now that would right. be on that team, like or or grad elementary school. Yeah. I mean, exactly. if you're playing
2: a game 10 years from now,
1: yeah, good point.
2: You know, if that kid's a, 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 a you know, if that kid's, I mean, that's a senior, you know, then is going to be 10 years behind. So he's in the second grade now. Right. Gosh. So, I mean, it's absurd. That's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. There's no reason for that in my opinion, but yeah. it is what it is.
1: It is. Brandon wants to know does or can under armor or Adidas provide benefits to recruits for them to wait and announce their commitment at their all American games.
2: I don't think they can at this point in time. I, I, I but I'm not 100 percent certain on that. I, I, I think as far as benefits in regards to like financial benefits, I don't believe that they can. I, now they'll, I know this for a fact that some of them have been told, hey, if you wait till this, we'll bump your ranking up and stuff like that. No, That's I'm happening. Sure. But as far as financial benefits, I, I don't believe.
0: Well, don't, the way the way the
1: calendar goes now, too, those games are in what early January usually. Like, yeah. There's not a lot of guys that wait
2: that long. Right. Some anymore. big name guys will, you know, just because, right. you know, they don't mind they don't mind having to wait because, because everybody you know, will take them. Especially I mean, now at the NIL. I think the NIL thing is going to, I don't think, I, I'm very curious to see how the NIL impacts decision-making. Because for some kids, there's going to be an advantage to waiting. But then it could be a thing where, you're like, okay, we've bought all the players we need to buy, and now you're yeah. SOL and we don't have the money for you so it's going to get really interesting. Will it result in more kids waiting? Will it result in fewer kids waiting? I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all, how it all plays out.
1: We got a super chat here from the end zone. Thank you very much. He says, would y'all consider expanding to covering more Notre Dame sports in the distant future? Love what y'all do.
2: well, we're going to kind of start doing that yeah. with Sean Styers. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, so like Sean will, Sean will talk some, you know, like if Sean starts his show when the baseball if the baseball team is still in the the college right, world, right. you know, if they're in the college world series by that time or you know they're still in the baseball postseason, we'll talk about it. Absolutely. Uh, it, you know, we get the basketball season, if there's like a big recruit that commits to the basketball team, we'll talk about it in that show. I, I want to eventually get there, but it has to be done the right way. And we have to make sure that we have the infrastructure from a staff standpoint to do so. And that was the thing that was hurting us is we were taking time away from articles and content that makes us a lot of money and take doing it towards shows that wasn't, you know, like I could write an article about some simple thing about football and put it out and it's going to make more money than my postgame article about anything the basketball team does with the exception of going on the road and upsetting like number one Duke or something like that. Right. And so I didn't want to be in a situation where we were just kind of half-heartedly covering those sports. I thought that was, you know, we were kind of doing it yeah. and I just felt like, it was disrespectful to the programs, uh, you know, and so, so I stopped writing about the women's basketball team. I stopped writing about the men's basketball team for a different reason. Uh, and that's kind of a personal reason, but I just kind of got tired of dealing with that and so i just said you know what we're going to focus on football and we got we had i mean we had so much growth this year and i'm not saying it's because we stopped doing that right right it's more about because we started focusing more and more on football and then of course there's a better product to cover now from a recruiting operation standpoint so i always plan on look a lot of stuff that we do is thinking towards the future and I would have I would love to get to the point where we're we're having like like one of the things I want to eventually do. And we tried to start doing it last year, but we just weren't just didn't go well. And I wasn't in a position where I was still trying to do so much that I couldn't get players in you know, or, or people in position to do these things. But I want to start eventually, a, you know, an internship program with Notre Dame where, you know, kids who want to get into writing, who want to do these kind of things can come on board and and cover a hockey team. Or they take control of a beat. Hey, you're doing the women's softball team, you're doing the hockey team, you're doing the fencing team. And no, those articles aren't going to make a ton of money and they'll get a big cut of the revenue, but it's it's where we're giving the people who have a desire to, to read that niche program that that not most people don't. So it's not a moneymaker. And then people that want the writing experience and all those type of things can do it. I, I want to get to that point it's eventually, but it's it, you know, those things are gonna take time. Right. And and but the the thing is, is like I am not building Irish Breakdown up as fast as I can so I can sell it for a bunch of money. I'm building this thing up because this is what I want to do for my life. Right. And it just, uh, you know, go back to the beginning, Vince. And you remember me telling you this. It was, you know, I'm I'm doing too much.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm trying to yeah. do this. I'm
2: trying to do this. And we got yeah, to build this thing up one thing at a time. Right. And then when that gets healthy, that's why we stopped really doing recruiting. For the website, we we'd talk about it in the show, but we weren't doing a ton for the website other than just some analysis pieces because we weren't in a position to get there. So, OK, once we built enough to where then I could go hire Ryan and I could hire Sean and now we've brought Devin on. Say, OK, I would I've always wanted to expand the podcast, but it just it had to be the right person. Well, I wasn't anticipating doing it this summer <laughs> but then sean styers becomes available and it's like well my calendar just got sped up because <laughs> there's a five-star prospect in this particular area that is now yeah. uh, you know in the transfer pool sometimes you just actually yeah i gotta go get him well and so. and he
1: brings like he's he's the play-by-play voice for women's basketball he used to be the play-by-play voice for, mm-hmm. for baseball so like that automatically brings in coverage of those sports right so that's another way but we're doing it the right way Right. We're doing it from a place of expertise and a way to do it the right way, as opposed to, hey, man, we just we got to get a store. We got to we got to get a gamer up about the basketball team and, you know, that kind of a thing. And, you know. You're right. It has to be done the right way. Otherwise, it's not Irish breakdown material. Right.
2: But what I want to do is for those things to be complements to the main product. Absolutely. So, like this slot won't be replaced by a basketball show. Right. We would just add a basketball show onto an evening spot. Like, I'm not going to do that. like, that was the other thing too. Is I was writing basketball gamers and, and I'm like, I, I'm not a bad, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I wa- like watching basketball, but sure. I'm not a basketball guy. Sure. I don't want to be doing that. This is my wheelhouse. And so it's about expanding people that can then go bring a level of expertise to that without taking away from what is our bread and butter. And by having Vince do this, or me do this, or Sean Davis do this, or Ryan Roberts do this, or have Devin do this, that's not football or recruiting related, we're then taking away from the money maker, and we're not going to do that. We're going to use that money maker to build things. We're going to, I mean, I'm really, if you want to look at, it, we're treating it like a college sports program in that we're going to use football to make enough money to where I can then go hire somebody to cover basketball. Yeah, basketball right. is not going to make enough money to hire a full-time employee. It's because we're doing so well in football that I can then go have someone that can do part of that. Or maybe in the off season, Sean Styers may do more basketball at some point in time and, and those type of things. But it, it just can't take away from what is the money maker, which is football, and yep. and it's also Absolutely. what I love to do. I don't I don't really care to cover basketball. Mm-hmm. I don't know a thing about hockey. I just know when that little, you know, black circle thing gets hit with the stick into the net, it's a good thing. <laughs> that that's 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 um, the extent of my hockey knowledge, right? <laughs> and then you throw an octopus on the thing, and you're all happy, right? But that that that's just like that's not me. Now, if I can get to the point where I can hire someone to do that, you know, sure, that'd be, that'd be fine. And and then there was another, another one that says this, Charlie Lloyd, Brian, would you ever, would you ever cover another school? Say a big offer came your way to cover another school only for, I I would, I look, you know, Tommy guns likes to joke about the, the Driscoll, you know, media empire. I, I would like to someday create sites that cover other sports, right? Or other programs, I, would, I definitely want to do that, but it would be more about me launching a site, kind of building it up, but having someone else kind of run it.
1: Somebody that's it wouldn't there, be me going
2: and you know I may do some things to help them out and write some film evaluations and stuff like that, but it would be more about it would be more about going out and and saying, hey, look, um, I'm I'm this is what I do. This is where my heart is. I'm, I grew up a Notre Dame fan. We live here now. I mean, I moved my wife here away from her family to cover Notre Dame football. It's what I love to do. But what I do, I want to get to the point someday where I own other sites that cover other sports and then they're held to the standard of how they cover that the way that we do. I would love to get to that point. And that is my ultimate goal. But it, but not the expense of what I'm doing here.
1: Right, right. right? It would be more about the scenes, kind of. uh I
2: meet some yeah. young kid who I think would be phenomenal, or, or let's say I, okay, so like Devin Jackson, right? We hired him recently, and he he grew up kind of an LSU fan, and you know he's kind of more of not really a, you know he's like it's more, you know it's different now. But like let's say I thought he was doing a great job. And, and, and I went and took over the LSU SI site, right? Hey, Devin, I'm going to have you down there running it. Like something like that, where I would own the site and then I'd have him run it and then go about it that way. It'd be more like that as opposed to I'm now covering the other team. It it wouldn't be that. It It, uh, it wouldn't be that. So yeah great questions okay. yeah great no questions. really good
1: question. There, there was another uh super chat did you want to grab that or do you want me yeah, to go there's to a
2: couple match? more but yeah oh, okay uh, I can go ahead and pull this one up from my from my guy mark stewart
1: mark thank you so much for the super chat man I really appreciate it. it says when recruiting how much is put into mental traits and toughness versus just athletic talent we hear guys talk about dogs and dudes but how much does this factor into recruiting
2: depends is it a good team or not good team because I think the best teams look for that mark. I think you've na- like to be a great team, and and, and I'm going to be honest with you. This isn't something I think that that was put enough emphasis was put on uh, in the past, in in my opinion. There, there there just weren't a lot of guys that had a, a just a just a deep 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 passion for being a great football player. There's way too many kids that were recruited who just who just wanted to come to Notre Dame for the degree. And my thing is find kids who want to come here for the degree that also have a burning desire to be great football.
1: Those kids are out there. There's
2: Braylon James is that guy. Right. Dante Moore's that guy. Right. I mean, Charles Jagasal's guy. I mean, there's a lot of guys like that. Keon Keely is that guy. Drake Bowen is that guy. And, and 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 you can go to last year's class similar. Jalen Sneed, Nolan Zeke. I mean, there's, there's plenty of kids like that. You just got to put in the work to get them. Right. But I think to be a great team, you need that. You have to have, and that's like one of the advantages of like watching game film or being at a game. It's, it's like a lot of people that aren't, I mean, if we're being honest, they're, they're not really football people. You know, they're, they're analysts that like are trying to become football people and they have this obsession with seeing a person live. Okay, whatever. If you can't tell a running back has great vision and all that from watching game film, you being there, isn't going to show you anything. What I like to be at a game for is to be like, let me see how this kid interacts between plays. Let me see how this kid interacts with his teammates on the sideline. Exactly. Let me see what happens to this kid, and let me watch his body language when he fumbles the football. You're not going to see that on game film because it gets cut off after the play's over. Does he get in his lineman's face in, in a bad way? Does he get in his lineman's face in a good way? Does he own it? And then how does he respond on the field? You know, it's like if, if you have a quarterback that's a phenomenal player and then, you know, he gets sacked early or he turns it over early, boy, you can get him out of rhythm and he can't recover. That's may not be something you can necessarily always see from game film or whatever, but I can – watch, or you may say, well, what's the problem? But when you're at a game, you can say, well, look at the kid's body language on the sideline. He's freaking screaming at his receivers every right. between every series. He's getting in his lineman's face and not in a leadership way. You know, he's the one that threw that interception, you know, like what's he – he landed his receiver for a ball with 12 feet over that guy's head. Is he just yelling at him or is he saying, Hey man, you know, talking to him like, Hey, I need you to take that post route over the top. Right. That's why I threw that ball there. Or you took it over the top. I needed you to level that off. That's why we threw that pick because I'm throwing it here. And you know what I mean? So it, you can get on a guy when a mistake is made Vince, but you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, are you showing that receiver up or are you going over to him and immediately talking to him about what happened? You can see the difference, and those are things that you need to see. And that's a that's a mental toughness thing. That's a leadership thing, Mark, and all those things are important. Like I want to see the film of a kid when he had from his worst game, like when I was recruiting. Like it's a little different now because the job is different. But when I was recruiting, I wanna I would ask him, you know, what would you say your worst game was? And that's the film I wanted to see because that's what I'm going to see how this kid handles the adversity, and then I'm going to look and see what he did the next game. How did he bounce back the next game? Mm-hmm those are all things that are part of it. And that's where you kind of differentiate the dogs and the dudes and the guys that really just have that, that, you know, like it, it may sound weird, but like you almost want a guy like I would, I've all, here's something I've always wondered about Michael Jordan and Larry bird. What was more, what was their greater passion winning or not losing? Right. What did Jordan and bird and guys like that do what they did because they just loved to win Or because they hated to lose? Usually it's a little bit of both, but which one, it's a lot of both, but which one is the stronger emotion? I think if you love to win, you may not win. You're like, "Ah, that's disappointing. I like to win. But if you hate to lose, that's really, to me, where you you have that deep like, okay, I'm going to do whatever I got to take to never have to feel this way again. And that, to me, is something I look for.
3: Well,
1: and I think a a little bit, kind of piggybacking off of that, you know, when you're watching highlights and you're doing things of that nature, when you're a coach and you're recruiting, you know, for example, a kick, right, a a field goal. If if you're kicking a field goal and you're up by 25 points and you're kicking a field goal, right, it's hard to tell that on a uh, on a on a highlight film. Or is this the kick to win the game, right? Are you the same guy kicking that field goal, you know, when you're up by 25 or down by 25 when it doesn't matter? Or are you the same guy when it's the kick to win the game, right? They, they were harping on that today at that camp. You know, it's like, I need you to be consistent. I don't care if you you know, you throw that long touchdown pass when the game's not on the line. It doesn't matter. I'm deleting that. It doesn't matter to me. What do you do? Are you consistent? Are you doing it every single time, whether you're a practice, you're at the game, you know, when the game's on the line, all of those different things. And so I think this staff really looks for that kind of thing. And that, is extremely intriguing to me and exciting so I think people are gonna be very happy with the guys that Notre dame's bringing in because they're not bringing in guys that just want to be here they they're bringing in guys that don't want to lose here and I think that is is so key I think that's so key to a recruiting class and how you put it together mm-hmm. so I, I'm, I'm pretty fired up obviously so yeah okay that's a
2: great, great question you guys are
1: coming correct No so kidding far. we haven't even we're, we're we're still pretty far back too, so that's really great stuff. I'm, I'm gonna bring R- Ryan. You ready to come in, man? All right. I, I've been. St- I started a couple of uh recruiting questions that I want to get to for Ryan as well. You
2: do, you do two shows with Ryan, and all of a sudden I'm not good enough to answer recruiting questions. This is Bush uh, league, man. Three heads
3: are better than two, my friend. All <laughs> right. He's just, he's just appreciating everyone. I don't see the problem. Of course <laughs> you don't, Mister Selfish. <laughs> Yeah, this is selfish. Yep. Oh
0: God. It's good to
2: have you with us, Ryan. Thanks you to you and Vince, both of you guys, for holding down the fort the last few days. I thought the site was gonna fall apart without me. It didn't. It didn't. Which which in the end of the day is a phenomenal thing. So <laughs> you guys did a great job. So let's uh let's keep rocking and rolling here, Vince.
1: All right, Domer Grizz has a question. He says, For which three recruits uh that are on June visits likely to be most important or impactful for getting or keeping them in the class?
3: That's a great question. That's right. a really good question. Um, I mean, the first one that pops, and I know we talked about him a little bit this morning, Brian, just back and forth with the text. I think Christian Hamilton's a big one, right? I mean, you're looking for that slot receiver in the class now that Rodney Gallagher is, is going to West Virginia. So you have a player like him who's out of North Carolina area who is dynamic in space, has a lot to him. He's never been to campus, even though he has been on the board for Notre Dame for a little bit of time here. So I think that, that one's a, a really big one for Notre Dame. I would say well, Josiah Wagner is going to be there this month uh, in June, right? If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. he's he's yep. going to be another one that's on the cornerback board. I think cornerback just in general is going to be kind of an important month, right? Because you have Mike Tease that's going to be back on campus. You have Josiah Wagner who's going to come on campus. What is that? Uh, Michael Bell is going to be a kid that's going to come on campus this month. So I would say just to give you maybe more than three here, I think it's the corners that are going to be on that I just ratted off three names. And I think a uh, Christian Hamilton making an impact with him is going to be huge for them as well.
2: It's three for me uh, th- that I'm going to try to stick within three. I'm having a hard time leaving him. no feeling off, but the reason I'm leaving him off is because as of right now, we anticipate him carrying this thing out. Right. So June is wow. just going to be another mm-hmm. part of the process. The three that I really feel like they have to really crush it in this, this summer visits to just get this thing done is, Jason Moore, Jaden Osbury, and Micah Bell. I think those three are super important because I feel like if you can get two of those three kids in the class, they're they're not only huge pickups, but it's just another opportunity for you to then to commit more resources to finish off those other guys. And those are difference makers, especially the two Perfect. front seven guys. I mean, you're basically done recruiting your needs in the, se- in the front seven if you get those two guys. And then I'm going to throw an asterisk because I went with guys that are uncommitted, so getting them – I think I think the 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 June visit for Peyton Bowen is going to be incredibly important. I'm just going to be honest. Peyton says all the right things about Notre Dame. I'm fully committed to Notre Dame. He's in the chats. He plays games. He does all these kind of things, and he says and does things that make you think this kid's 100% solid. But when a kid refuses to re- stop his recruitment – he refuses to stop taking visits. I'm I'm sorry. We saw this last year with with Amorian Walker. Yeah, and the situations are different. I I I always felt like Amorian looked at Notre Dame as a placeholder. I said that from day one. I don't think Peyton Bowen views Notre Dame that way. So there are some differences, but you always have to say actions speak louder than words, and the fact that Peyton Bowen just. And Notre Dame wants him to. They want him to shut his recruitment down. He refuses. He was just at Bama this week. Okay, you can say all you want about. Oh, I'm not worried about it at all. Whatever. But you know, Keon Keeley went on some visits, and then okay, I did. I saw what I wanted to see, and I'm 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 done. Peyton refuses to do that, and as long as he continues to listen to other teams and take other visits. He has to be considered a a, 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 a flip com- candidate. He has to. I mean, you'd be naive not to. But if you can convince him, like, hey man, what are we doing here? We're trying to put the, together the number one class, and one of our best prospects is out, dr- you know, going to all these other schools that we're competing against to land these other kids. What does that do for us, right? Like, you need to have that conversation with him. Like, we're trying to get this Caleb Downs from Alabama right, to go to our class, to be with you, to form the best safety class in the country, what does it say to him who we think we trail Alabama for that one of our committed players is taking a trip to Alabama? When we're trying to beat Oklahoma for a kid, for Micah Tease, what does it say to him when we're trying to convince him to come be part of this great secondary class that our best secondary recruit has been to Oklahoma three times this offseason? Right? I mean, that's a real thing. And he needs to understand that, and they've got to try to find a way to get him to say, "Are you on board or not?" Yeah. Because if you're fully on board, then it's time to you've you've been on tons of trips. It's time to shut it down. And if you are going on a visit because you're there with your brother, which is a very fair thing, then you can't be posing in the other team's you uni- know in right. the team's uniforms, hey. Right. Talking about brother. sweet home Alabama on your Instagram page.
1: Right. Just be the brother.
2: Right? Yeah. Like, you know, uh, it, it it's like, okay, what if Marcus Freeman, like, posed in a picture with Caleb Downs and was like, you know, put out there, like, we're going for the best safety in the country. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you'd be kind of like, man, that's a little jacked up. You know what I mean? Like, if you're Peyton Bowen, right? Well, how's it any different than you posing in an Alabama uniform or putting sweet Home Alabama in, in your thing right like it may seem harmless but that's hurting the rest of the, the opportunities of the class and if he's not willing to fully commit to it then if you're Notre Dame you, you have to start preparing for the potential that he may not want to he may he may end up not being in the class because if he's if he's so if he's that if he's as committed to Notre Dame as he says he is eventually you have to stop eventually mm-hmm. right yeah and as of right now
3: Peyton has done nothing to make me think, that he's going to stop and, and, and Payton's Payton's such a big recruiting tool too, for a couple of the corners that I talked about earlier, right? It's like Micah Bell's a Texas kid. Micah mm-hmm. Tease is Oklahoma. You're one state away seeing that. Uh, I mean, he could be a guy that's like pushing you, right? Cause it's a regional right. thing. Like, Hey, let's, let's go up together. Let's do that type of thing. And if you seem wishy-washy, how right. does that look for a couple of those guys that are going to potentially go up to South Bend as well?
2: And my understanding is Peyton says all the right things to those kids. But again, actions speak louder than words. So oh. if you're telling Micah T's, Hey man, Notre Dame's the move. You got to come play with me. Blah, 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 blah. That's cool, man. I'm thinking about it. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to visit Oklahoma. Oh, uh, okay. Um, didn't you just tell me that Notre Dame was the move and I need to not go to Oklahoma. Why are you going to Oklahoma? Right? Like it's not going to help. Same thing with, with Micah Bell. Like, Oh, wait a minute, hold on. I- I'm visiting so-and-so this weekend. You're telling me that you're all about Notre Dame, but you're going to visit that school this weekend, right? It just, it's, it's, it's just, it's a part of it. And I I mean, he has a right to do it. I'm not mad about it. I'm not upset with Peyton Bone for doing it. This isn't an anger thing. It's just, it's a reality thing. You're either in the class, you're not. And if you're not willing to completely shut your recruitment down and be with us with the exception of, yeah, be with your family when your brother's going through the process. I'm cool with that. But then you know, there's a way to be on campus as a brother. And then there's a way to be on campus as you're a recruiter. Exactly. Yeah. And he has to understand that because he's going to help. He's going to, it's, it's going to, you know, and I think isn't, I don't think Peyton views it that way. I I think these are harmless things for him. I I do. But eventually it's like, okay, enough is enough. Or we've got to go out and figure out as an, as Notre Dame coaching staff, you'd have to tell yourself, we have to go out and protect ourselves because we need a second safety in this class.
1: Okay, Matt has another recruiting question here. He says, considering the need at slot wide receiver, if Christian Hamilton is blown away on his visit and wants to commit, would they take him or would the
3: staff wait on Hannafin and Flores? The answer is yes. I mean, it's simple. He's he's different than both Hannafin and Flores, right? Hannafin's your true outside guy. Flores, I think, could do a little bit of outside inside stuff, but the only true slot that's on that list is Christian Hamilton. And even if he it's not a it's not a one or the other type of situation, they would take all three of those players. But the, to answer the question, Matt, yes. If Christian Hamilton, if they knock it out of the park when he get, when he comes for his visit and he wants to commit, they will take Christian Hamilton, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, they would take all three of those kids. I mean, they they will get to five receivers in this class if, if they need to, if it's the right five. And, and basically, we had talked before about, you know, Braylon James, Jaden Greathouse, Ronan Hannafin, Rodney Gallagher and Rico Flores, or, you know, there's some other receivers on the board. All you do is, you know, remove Gallagher, insert Hamilton for this conversation. And, and it's the same thing. So I agree with Ryan. that They they, they def, definitely believe they would take Christian Hamilton right now. Taking Christian Hamilton has no impact as far as I understand on, definitely not on Ronan Hannafin. And I don't believe on Rico Flores either.
1: Got a super chat here from Mark. Thank you so much, Mark. Does Notre Dame have a fence around Chicago, the suburbs, and Indiana? And if not, why not?
2: Well, they just haven't been that. They do, they do on Indiana for the most part. Yeah. They haven't lost men. It's been a while since they've lost an Indiana kid that they wanted. I think Mm -hmm. you'd have to go back to Austin Mack. The last time that I can remember Notre Dame losing an Indiana kid that they wanted or that they could get into school. It's been a while. Uh they we, didn't we, want George
3: Carloftis. We mean, think so similarly, Brian. My question was going to be when's the last time they lost an Indiana kid? Yeah, I think it was Austin wanted. Mack.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Austin Mack. Uh, you know, like there's other guys that they didn't get. They didn't get George Carloftis, but they didn't want George Karloftis, right. which I mean, that's more of a you it's know. An evaluation. Okay. Right, evaluation mistake there's guys they wanted that they couldn't get into school right did
3: did they did they recruit joe titman i think i may have answered you this before the wisconsin offensive lineman no no, No, he's he's a pretty good player that's a shame there's Mm. i think james Hurst. they might
2: have lost but that was a long time ago they they haven't lost many of the kids that they've wanted again like terry mclaren went to ohio state notre dame never really recruited him i mean again i don't know if it was an academic thing if it's just a bad evaluation i don't know the answer to that but they didn't lose that kid so they they pretty much have a fence around Indiana. They'll just open the gate up and let some kids out, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> they decide not to take. Like Chicago's a different one, Mark, because they definitely do not have a fence around Chicago. And, I mean, last year is a perfect example of that. Cardinal Tate's a perfect example of that. You know, Caleb Brown, not getting Caleb Brown. You know, you lose Tyler Morris. Um, I, I was actually okay losing Tyler Morris because I just don't think he's that, that great, and he then went and tore his ACL but you know Caleb Brown they they hardly recruited at all they they have a pretty good fence around a pretty strong fence around the Catholic League but it's not a super high fence so the really good players can kind of leap it if I'm trying to use this fence analogy right so Cardinal Tate's you know good enough to leap that fence and get to where he needs to get to so no they don't have one around Chicago they need to have one basically whether you get one kid out of Chicago a year or four or five, the reality is, is when you want a kid from Chicago, you need to get them. And, and when I say Chicago, I'm talking about Chicago and all its suburbs, Lake Forest, all those. So like Peter Skoronsky. no excuse to kind of have that kind of miss, right? I mean, that just, if the kid's close to being good enough for you, you need to take them, Right. And those are the things that they need to do. So yes, like it, it should never be a question. If you're going to go after Justin Scott or not, the only, the only question should be, okay, we got to wait to do our due diligence from an academic and fit standpoint before we offer, which is legitimate because some of the Chicago kids will commit on the spot or soon after. So you need to make sure it's a, it's an offer that they can commit to meaning you want him. He checks all the boxes of what a kid needs to do to get to Notre Dame. So uh, to me, that is that is where they need to go. Somebody said the linebacker that went to Michigan. They didn't know. Cameron McGrone is not a guy that Notre Dame lost. Notre Dame basically stopped recruiting Cameron McGrone. Now, you can argue that that was a mistake, but yeah. they didn't lose Cameron McGrone, right? They stopped recruiting him because that was the year that they got Jack Lamb, they got Bo Bauer, they yep, got dude. Ovia Gofu, Plan and there class, was yeah. one other linebacker that they took. But basically, like, when they got Jack Lamb, they kind of – Backed off of Cam McGrone, but no, they, they could have got Cam McGrone if they wanted him. They just chose to move on. So, like I said, there have been really good. Terry McLaren's a, an even better example than Cam McGrone because they, they he went to Ohio State and he's a much better player right now. And that's not a knock on Cam McGrone. Cam McGrone was a good college football player, but Terry McLaren's, I mean, right. He's, he's, he's a pro, he's a pro bowl wide receiver. Yeah. He's a really he's good pretty player, good player. Yeah. So, uh, that, that would be. That would be my move. Somebody asked to kind of a follow-up staff decided against JJ McCarthy. It wasn't that they decided against JJ McCarthy. It was that they thought, and I agree with them, that Tyler Buckner is just better because sure. they were in the same class. People talk about Marquis Step, you know, Caden Curry. Again, they didn't recruit Caden Curry. I mean, so you can keep throwing names out to me. Somebody said Marquis Step. He was committed, he was committed to committed. Notre Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame told – he had to move on. He couldn't get right. into Notre Dame. Right. That's why he left the Notre Dame class. He didn't want to leave the Notre Dame class. Uh, oh, uh, a guy that they lost after Austin Mac, Pete Warner. That's the last one. Oh, that yeah. That was during that transition from that was in that post 2016 debacle. I so I don't, I don't know the uh, Austin Mac. Um, I'm going to have to look up sort of the Austin Mac, and um, he was 2016. So yeah, he would have been. So, Pete Werner would have come after him. That was a loss. Like Emil Eckior is not a kid they lost. They didn't recruit him. Right. Right. So, again, there have been players that they have lost that, that have left the state, but they're not guys that Notre Dame recruited. Right. Pete Werner was, tw- man, was a I, year I, after Austin Mack. I, I, and he yeah. was committed loved, to Notre Dame for a long time. Yeah. I loved Pete
3: Werner, man. Yeah. He went
2: to he went the cathedral, right? Yes. He was committed yeah, to Notre right. Dame for a long And they just stopped, yeah. just stopped talking to him. They just stopped recruiting him during the whole four and eight. Struggle, Smart. So yeah, um, so so yeah. I mean, they, they, they just haven't lost many Indiana kids in the last ten years. I mean, again, some evaluation mistakes. Some kids just don't have the grades. They haven't lost a lot of Indiana kids. Chicago's been a has been a tougher one in recent years because they kind of they started to kind of not recruit it. Tommy Reese is trying to fix that. Marcus Freeman and Chad Bowden want to fix that. And so that's why you're seeing them put a lot of emphasis on the Chicago kids in 2024. The 2024 Chicago class, Ryan, is a lot better than the Chicago 2023 class. A lot better. Oh yeah.
3: Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's it's fantastic, man. Justin Scott and all those boys. It looks oh yeah. Cam like, Williams is a guy that Notre Dame has offered and is pushing. I like forward. Cam too. Yeah, he's a good wide yeah. receiver. Yep, yep. I agree. It's a, yeah. it's a
2: strong class. Very strong class. The
3: defensive tackle class in general, just talking about Justin Scott for next year's class looks really good, man. Early on, really good. Especially if you count Nigel Smith in there, which he could be eventually. So, yep.
1: Okay, gentlemen, let's see what we got here. Rob has a scheduling question. He says, just thinking, would it be better if Notre Dame dropped Stanford and replaced it with Vanderbilt? Don't know if we could do it every year, but being in Tennessee, that would be
2: good for recruiting. Just a thought. Thanks, guys. I wouldn't mind that, Ryan. If you said to yourself, hey, we have to play, not have to, we want to play an academic school every year. Yeah. And you wanted to give me some sort of rotation with Stanford, Northwestern, Duke, and Vanderbilt, I'd have no problem with that. Yeah, maybe work out some deal with the ACC to say, hey, look, we're going to schedule something with Duke outside of the years that we would normally play them. Or you could just look at your Duke schedule; it may be where they do have home and homes with them, and and just kind of schedule those teams. That I'm fine, and 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 then it's then I don't mind playing Stanford occasionally, and I don't mind playing because then you're just treating those games as sort of like these are your early season sort of decent team warm up games. Right? Sure, go for it. Yeah, I'd have no problem with that and, and again to his point Ryan I've talked a lot about I want Notre Dame to get more to Tennessee recruiting wise
4: like I don't that, think playing Vanderbilt
2: however does that other than you'd want to make sure you play at Vanderbilt so that the kids can come sure. see you play sure agree
3: agree yeah if they're just coming to you it's a you know it's a neutral right yeah exactly I mean but my main criteria was going to be again like especially for Vanderbilt you're getting into the tennessee area. We've talked about that a ton. Also, even though they're not a great program right now, they're still an SEC school, right? right. So there's still going to be a little bit of that lore yeah, on them, not well, as much, but they're still an SEC school. Aren't they in Nashville? Yes. Yeah, I believe so I believe so yes. yeah.
2: You know, so so to, and and then also to your point, Ryan, it's like it's like last year you had Notre Dame beat Georgia Tech 55 to nothing and then Georgia played them and then you kind of had that measuring stick, right? And so if you're playing Vanderbilt and you blow Vanderbilt out and, you know, something happens with someone else and you kind of have that measuring stick when you're talking about your playoff resume of, yeah, we both played a team that's not very good, but, you know, look what we did to that team. And, you know, we, we did this and they, you know, they, they did not. So, um, I think there's, I think that's a uh, certainly something that you can look at and say, Hey, uh, There'd be some positives to that because, like Ryan said, they're an SEC. I mean, Georgia plays them, Florida plays them, Tennessee plays them. Teams that we've talked about are maybe ascending. You know, so you, Ryan, you and I have talked about it. Sean and I talked about it. Those are ascending programs that you now would have a okay. Let's see how we compared to them type of situation on your on your resume. You just got to make sure you don't have happen what happened in 2018 where you freaking barely beat them and you're a, a Lohi Gilman strip at the end zone away from losing that game. So, uh, but that's—I uh, think those days are
3: behind us. I think. <laughs> so. Let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, man, I—I I, I just really—I hope Clark Lee turns that that team around. Yeah. Man, it's a not an easy program. Just make him competitive. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, just exactly. Make him competitive. Yep, that's the key. And
2: he's a—he's a good guy. And I got no issue with Coach Lee. He—he was—he was always fair to me, and—and and he's a good dude. And—and and, uh, we disagree on some things on and off the field, but nothing that that's character defining. It's just different ways of doing things, you know, and I've, I've always, I've always had respect for coach Lee. I just never thought he was as good of a coach as maybe some people thought. So
1: Tommy guns has one specifically for Brian. Cause he asked Ryan and I, this question uh, the other day, I guess he didn't like our answer. Uh, all right, Brian, this one's for you. Do you think as teams move to recruit more nationally, it has watering down effect on rivalry games, not as many homegrown kids who grew up with it on their on the rosters?
2: I don't think so. I, and I think the best way to look at it is the Alabama-Auburn rivalry. I mean, they both have Alabama kids on the roster. Alabama is a, a pretty good producer of talent for on a per capita basis, but their rosters are still dominated, especially Alabama's, by national kids. But it still becomes a, a a big time rivalry. You know, it's like another example is basketball. Michigan, Ohio State's in Michigan, Michigan State is still a big rivalry, even though this year I don't think I'm trying to think, I don't think Michigan had anyone from Michigan in their starting lineup because it's the culture of your campus. Exactly. Right? I mean, Duke and North Carolina basketball. How many kids from those on those teams are from North Carolina? All right. It's still a rivalry. But what fans have to understand is rivalries for a long time now have been more about the fan rivalry in the coaches than they are about the players. Uh, you know, and, and then that then feeds into I want to win this game because I know it's big for our school and for the coach and for the fan base. That's when the passion comes from. It's not just because, you know, I grew up in Ohio and you grew up in Michigan and we hate each other. Right. It's 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 about all those other aspects of it. But are there schools where regionally, Tommy, this is important? Yeah, I think you're going to, you know, Ohio still produces a ton of kids that go to Ohio State. And Michigan is still going to have a lot of Michigan kids in their rivalry or or on their roster. So so there's going to be some of that to it. But it's not like 18 of their 22 starters are in state kids. It's it's not like that. So I think there's there's always been something to that. There's always been something to the notion of you you adopt the culture of your, the program you're going to. It's Here's another example, Notre Dame and USC. Notre Dame's never had a regional foundation. I mean, like in my life, I mean, you're Midwest, but like not a state thing. Why has the Notre Dame-USC rivalry always been so intense? Now, there's been a ton of West Coast kids at USC, but what's their rivalry? What's their being West Coast? What does that mean about Notre Dame? No names in the middle of freaking nowhere. Right. According to them, you know, and why do Notre Dame kids, why have Notre Dame kids always looked at Michigan as a rival or USC? It's because it's the, it's the culture you're stepping into to me is, is, is the, the bigger thing for me.
1: Go deep has a quarterback question. So we made it two and a half hours into the, or I'm sorry, one and a half hours into the show here. So before we got to a quarterback recruiting question, what are your thoughts on Avery Johnson? Seems like he's every bit as talented as Dante Moore. Also, why not go hard after him as well? If Moore is going to shop around, Notre Dame should too. Uh,
3: you want me to start this, Brian? Go for it. All right. I will say this. Aver- I'm going to be respectful. I'm sorry, Deep. I'm not. I'm not trying to be that person. Um, Avery Johnson is a much more talented runner than... Dante Moore, I agree. Outside of that, I don't see a not close. tangible or intangible thing as a football player that is anywhere close, honestly. Dante has a stronger arm, more accurate, more nuanced. He's he's just a more ready guy, right? Significantly like significantly better feel. quarterback prospect. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. He's just he's got a better feel for the position, just astoundingly high, right? No. Now Avery has tools, he has a yes. solid arm. He has upside as a pass, so there's no doubt. Like, long-term development, I like Playmaker. Avery Johnson a ton. Exactly. Yeah. If you get him into an offense where you are going to utilize his athleticism to the best of your advantages, the kid can be a good football player on yeah. the college level. I have no doubt about that. But I think the differences between Dante Moore and Avery Johnson right now from a passing perspective are very wide right now.
2: Look, Vince, you especially know this because we've been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Ryan, you, you've found, I like Avery David Johnson. I was one of the first people that said this kid's super underrated and he's ra- risen up the rankings. I have been on the Avery Davis train for a while from an evaluation standpoint, but there's a big difference between Avery Johnson, who I like a lot as a player and Dante Moore, you know, it, I'm sorry. there just, there just is, uh, you know, and, and you can, you can, You can say the the shopping around thing. Dante Moore, for all the frustration that, that Notre Dame fans have with Dante Moore, some of it is understandable. A lot of it to me is not. A lot of it is in response to a lot of the clickbait articles about him that I think have given an impression of who Dante Moore is that I don't think reflects who Dante Moore is, and that's frustrating to me because people are utilizing Dante Moore's status and recruitment to generate clicks, and it's hurting him. Absolutely. in my opinion, which is why we haven't written a Dante Moore article other than an evaluation piece in a while. But Dante Moore is doing exactly what he has said from the beginning he was going to do. He was going to take all his visits. He wasn't going to make an early decision. I, I believe he thought about making an earlier decision, but he decided to stick with his process. And that is because Dante Moore is a very smart, savvy, thoughtful, intelligent 4.0 student. And he wants to make sure Dante Moore's adamant, adamant that when I make a decision, it's over. I'm not going to be flipping. I'm not going to be decommitting. I'm not going to be doing this. I'm not going to do that. When I make a decision, it's done. He would rather take time to make that decision than rush. So, you know, we, we can talk. He's not shopping around. He is going through the process the way he always has. And in order to get him, I believe Notre Dame has to continue to stay on course they stay on course, stay on course, stay on course. Because all these other teams are looking around for different options and Notre Dame is staying the course saying, hey, this is what we need to do. You're our guy. I have always felt in the end they're going to get him. And how you can quickly go from having an elite player to a good player that, that doesn't change the face of your program is by panicking. And moving on from Dante Moore right now would be a panic move doing things to try to you know to try to write it, hey let's influence him by making it seem like we're interested in that kid or the other kid would backfire in my opinion yeah. stay the course stay the course that's the key and and the the, the unique thing is and this is kind of goes to, d- to go deep so the original part of his question his or her sorry for assuming it was a, a him is that This is an incredibly deep quarterback class, incredibly deep. And in other years, Avery Johnson would be a no-brainer take for Notre Dame. And so if somehow Notre Dame eventually ended up with Avery Johnson, I'd be like, all right, cool, good, good, good job. I love the kid. But it can't be because you panicked and went off course. Can't be that. It has to be you lose out on Dante, and then you try to flip him from wherever he's committed later. Right. That would be the key. But they've got to stay on course. And this is why they get paid the big bucks to make these decisions. And that was a move. If Brian Kelly was still the head coach in Notre Dame, and this is not an insult to him per se, I think they would already have another quarterback in the class per se. I think they would have taken Jackson Arnold or taken Avery Johnson or something like that. And those are good players. Yeah. But they're not get, It's like, they are Sam Howell. Dante Moore is Lamar Jackson. Bryce Young, Joe Burrow, right? He's that type of guy to me. Right. An elite program changing player. And I'm not talking he's gonna throw for as many yards and that I'm just he is he can change the face of your program the way that Joe Burrow changed the program at LSU, the way that you know other quarterbacks have come through programs and just completely done a 180 on it. That is who he can be. Mm-hmm. And Avery Johnson could maybe be a Baker Mayfield, but he's not Kyler Murray, right? And in my opinion, there's a difference. You know, one guy is a very important piece to a cog in a, in a really well-oiled machine, and the other guy is putting the entire program on his shoulders and saying, because with all due respect to to, to Baker Mayfield, the team that Kyler Murray co- was a quarterback for in 2018 was not as talented as the teams that Baker Mayfield had overall. I think Kyler lifted those teams up. More And you started to see that even more the next year when he was gone and Jalen Hurts took over because, you know, Jalen was a solid quarterback. But the the holes on that roster became even more obvious when Kyler wasn't there to, to mask him anymore. Yeah. And to me, that's the difference. Avery Johnson's a really good football player. And in nothing in me and Ryan and I both love Avery Johnson, but he's a top hundred player. Dante's a top five player, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a difference. Right and and you know, I was like, do you want Dak Prescott or do you want Aaron? You uh, know, uh, Pat Mahomes. Right. right, Dak Prescott's a really good quarterback in my opinion. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen. He's not. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And do you want Phil Sims for older folks? Do you want Phil Sims or do you want Joe Montana, John Elway? Right. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. And that's the difference. It's not a knock on Avery. It's just one guy's really good. And the other guy is a program changer. Right. And that's why you got to stay the course.
3: And Avery Johnson's also a little bit of a boomer bust player for, to a degree. Right. Like he's yeah. he's going to need a little bit of time. And I would have if Avery Johnson was the quarterback in last year's class between Tyler Buckner and potentially Dante Moore, I'd be like, cool, man, that's high 100%. upside. And you have kind of that filler year where you can take a gamble on an upside type kid.
2: Because also with his unique talent, Ryan, if he busts as a quarterback, you can still get value out of that scholarship because you could say, go catch passes and he could play for you, right? I mean, he's that kind of athlete, in my opinion. Uh, But, you know, and and if they get him in this class and you get CJ Carr next year, I'm okay about the future of the quarterback. But with all due respect to CJ Carr and Julian Sane and all these guys, they're not Dante Moore. And that's, that's the key for me. You got to stay, you got to stay the course.